I'm Emily. And I'm Kay. And this is Second Lead Syndrome. A podcast homage to our K-pop culture side pieces. segment called B-Side Pieces, in which we want to highlight either B-Sides or album tracks, um, and even, we're going to cheat a little bit, occasional title tracks that have not gotten the attention they deserve. And Kay, do you want to talk a little bit about why this would be an important segment on a podcast like this? Yes, Absolutely. First of all, this is a podcast called Second Lead Syndrome, and I think both of us believe that sometimes it's those diamonds in the rough that are buried underneath all the other stuff that are the best part of any fandom enterprise. So for me, like when I'm listening to a group that I love, there's a special joy in like digging through the other tracks on the album that aren't as recognized or aren't as listened to because they don't have like the music video, the promotions and all of that. Um, So it's exciting to think about and talk about those less appreciated works. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other aspects of putting the focus on say a B-side or album tracks as well, I think also highlights an aspect of music output itself that I think in this day and age, people don't discuss as much, especially if you're of the generation that came out during the era of the digital digital single, or rather came of age during this era of, I think, more single-driven pop music. So for me, I'm a little bit old school, um, and when I was growing up, of course there were CDs and, uh, even cassettes. So actually my first music purchases were cassette singles. And from there, I actually grew up with a record player in my home. So a lot of what I was listening to was, you know, my parents' old records. And if you think about a record, even as a physical object, it's the kind of thing where you could sure skip tracks, But the needle uh, was something that you had to physically move into a different groove to get to the next track. And even then, there was no way of ensuring that you would skip directly to the beginning of that next track that you would want to listen to. And so even though I listened to records at the same time that I was listening to CDs, in which you could just skip to whatever your track of preference was, the idea of a whole album having to listen to all of the tracks and thinking about an album as a cohesive form uh, is something that was, I think, linked to the medium itself in a way that when the media, the primary media through which people are listening to music changes, the way that people listen to it also changes as a result. And I think especially with K-pop, because so much of its visibility, so much of its consumption is rooted in a music video that drives a single, those album tracks get even more buried. And because we're in an age where unless you're like a hipster or into vinyl revival, um, and let's be honest, K-pop does not put out vinyl releases. 
uh, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe it should. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that I've been, I've been thinking about that I would love because for me, at least, again, that's one of the joys Remember how of being when, a fan. Remember um, how Pink Tape came out? It was like a cassette. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was genius. Like, I loved, I loved that kind of homage to a format that requires you to kind of go through the whole thing. And to be honest, that was one of those albums that really felt like an album where every track or almost every track had a fair amount of thought and production put into it and each of those songs could stand alone um and many of them could have been singles as well um and I think that's it that yeah that's absolutely a great example of you know an actual cohesive album and I think there are a couple of you know k-pop artists that do go the extra mile and try to create some continuity both within the album and across, uh, you know, mini album releases. Um, I definitely think there is a move in K-pop to giving some kind of uh, conceptual continuity to different releases. Um, but the way that that's being chunked out is a little bit different too from sort of that old school model, right? It's mini album single linked to mini album single and then sort of the album tracks are often still just a, a secondary thought. Yeah, but I think that, you know, goes really well with our sort of contention that we can't really understand a certain thing until we understand all the stuff that's around it and shaping it. So this is, I guess, another another bullet point in our argument for context and accounting for context. And if you think of b-sides as additional context for your singles and that puts them in a different light um, and that's kind of how we want to approach these yeah and I think what's also interesting about b-sides too is there's moments of experimentation or sides of artist personalities that wouldn't necessarily make it into a single that then are revealed to you through these sorts of b-sides um yeah, whether it's unexpected instrumentation or, you know, something different vocally, um, even who's doing particular vocal lines, things like that that you wouldn't ordinarily feature. So, you know, um, I think one of the things that springs to mind because we are going to talk about our bias groups um, since those are back catalogs that we know very well. Um, one example that I think of is the collaborations that sometimes Ravi does with his album tracks. Like he selects, you know, um, a member like Hyuk uh, to do a collaboration track like Memory, um, which you would not ordinarily, you know, choose Hyuk to do the hook um, on a rap track. I think Ravi's first choice is usually Ken because Ken does all the guide tracks um, or a lot of the guide tracks for the vocal parts in, you know, Robbie's compositions. From what I understand about their production or composition process, that that's often the case. Um, but this way in which, like, Hyuk's getting highlighted in a way that he wasn't getting highlighted on, you know, previous Vix releases. I mean, you could argue now that their, their subsequent catalog uh, is featuring Hyuk's vocals quite a bit more, but... I think memory for a lot of Starlights is a turning point in, um, you know, the the deeper Vix discography when it comes to, yeah, featuring someone that you wouldn't normally think to 
thing to highlight and then that's yeah the beauty of of going deep with your with your faves (laughs) cool so should we talk about a live Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) So the very first track that we wanted to feature in this segment of B-side pieces is Vix's Alive. I think we really wanted Alive as the theme song for this podcast. (laughs) It's just so good. It's so good. At a certain point, we started saying like, oh, this has to be in the podcast just so that we could listen to it again and again. Like, it's so good. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and to me, it's it's this track that really, it's so musically strong that it could have been an amazing Should have been single. a single. It should have been a single. And we will not stop talking about Alive. I think this is just going to be a recurring theme in the podcast of just, you know, basically going on a campaign for everybody and their mother to listen to Alive. Moreover, Vix has not done a live stage version of Alive, which to me is an absolute crime. We're going to start a petition and put it on the website. That's for real. <laughs> it's a campaign to make a live live a live version <laughs> and a music video and we will oh not God, rest until those that. goals are achieved <laughs> okay so what is it about alive that just grabs our hearts there's so many things to talk about with this song which is part of why i think it's it's such an amazing track i think it's you know all of the things that you expect of a latter day quintessential vix track You've got vocal harmonies, you've got dramatic build, um, you've got rhythmic interest, um, you've got a catchy as hell hook. Um, it has all the ingredients that it, that a pop song has, but what it also does is it switches those up. It, it changes from sort of your typical pop song structure in certain ways. Um, for example, getting this much longer instrumental introduction in the beginning. So it's it's all these ways in which it's a powerful, impactful, catchy song, but it's also doing things that kind of buck the trend, that that change from your sort of archetypical, uh, your archetypal pop pop structure um, in some really notable ways. Um, so I think that that's definitely part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could tell the story about Vix's Alive. For those of you who do not know that track, we are putting the link up. We will probably post it every week uh, just to make sure that you know that this is a track you need to be listening to right now. We'll tweet it every week. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was basically an OST that Vix did for... Murim School, which is a drama that um, one of their members, Hong Bin, starred in. I think he was something like the second lead. <laughs> um, and Hyun Woo, I think, was like the, the lead in it. Um, and yeah, this song kind of played every time there was like an epic moment or, uh, you know, a clash of sorts. So it's, it's a really climactic piece. Um, that fits really well in kind of an OST, but is 
way more adventurous than typical pedestrian OST tracks, which artists usually just crank out for the rights, I think, and for profit more than they think about the quality of OSTs. Um, but that's a question. Actually, maybe we should just have a little sidebar about this. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about like OSTs. What, like, what's your kind of read on on OSTs? You know, as far as what they do for artists, maybe what they do in the context of dramas. Mm, that's a good question. Um, as far as I know, like it's it's good for like lesser known groups to get some recognition, especially if you're in a really popular drama. Um, or and by you, I mean if the group's song is in a, a popular drama. Um, it's a good way to loop in group members when one member is an actor on the show. Um, but other than that, I don't know much about like the composition, production, licensing process. Um, and I don't know, I don't have a good sense of whether these are actually typically good money makers for people. Like I know like, um, for the really, you know, huge dramas like Goblin and Descendants of the Sun, like the... The OST tracks for those shows were like at the top of the charts for like weeks, but I don't know if that's a oh yeah if that's a typical experience. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that it is, but I think every artist or every company when they try to get an OST, it seems to me like, yeah, I think they'd probably make some money on the rights, but it's it's more the hope that they're going to get that kind of exposure of a like descendants of the sun or of a even I mean I just think of like boys over flowers it's like dude how many times has almost paradise and it's not even a good song like Like, how many times has that you know been used over and over and over again and how emblematic it is of the drama you know I mean I think about yeah, that's a good point. It's they they like become memes, right? Like as soon as someone says "Almost Paradise," everyone immediately flashes to "Boys Over Flowers." So it's like a good, I guess, a good like branding move. The other thing I was thinking was that it's kind of a good move to bring your fandom into to like just keep the energy up um, when you're not releasing um, mini albums or albums. You can you can have an OST just to keep people engaged and remind them that like yeah, we're doing stuff, but we don't have time to record a whole album. Right, right. I mean, one of the other things that I think about as far as what are OST's functions, I would say with respect to Vix in particular, the only tracks that those of us who are Ken Stans get as his solos, aside from live stages, has been OST's. A gross injustice. Yes, although I have a strong feeling that they will give him a solo eventually. And I kind of feel like this year is his year. I'm really hoping because if you look at the model for when, um, when members get solo releases, I mean, Robbie's a different story. I think they let him do it earlier because he probably had so much material, you know, um, that they, they were like, okay, let's roll this out now, you know, Um, but yeah, with someone like Ken, where they actually have to like choose material for him or think about that, like, 
I just don't have a doubt that they're going to eventually do it. But I think it's it's usually the five year mark. I think it's about the time when like, you know, the group itself is sustainable and you have enough of a fandom where you can release a solo and it'll like do decently well. I think anywhere between sort of like the three to five year mark is usually when people start getting their solos. I mean, I'm trying to think like Sunduel, fifth year. I mean, how long were Bana's like waiting for that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Since before <laughs> debut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, for example, also have been like, dude, DK from 17, that man needs a solo. Like, he is so, I think, vocally facile. I just remember they did like a live stage that kind of had an R&B beginning, and I'm forgetting the name of it. So anybody who's a carrot, please just tell us what the stage was, or we'll look it up and post it. But it's like this really cool like R&B intro, and DK's killing it. And I'm just thinking that was like the moment when I was like, oh, my God, give him a solo album. But like you just know he's not going to get one. Like, I just highly, highly doubt it until, you know, 17's made enough money and, you know, um, because even a group like Shiny, I mean, think about the fact that Onu has never gotten a solo release. And there's many reasons why that might be. Also a gross injustice. Yes, yes. But like. We need to have just like a, a petition section of the website where we just like put up. <laughs> these are all the things that are wrong. Please fix them. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, I mean, then they finally gave, like, Jonghyun and Taemin solo releases, which actually turned out to be pretty damn good. Like, I mean, more than more than just good. I think they're, they're actually really impressive releases. But even a group like Shiny, I think it, it wasn't until that maybe, like, four or five-year mark that they started to roll it out. Or I think of, um, you know... Gyu, Sungyu from Infinite, right? Like, I actually, I think his solo album was better than, like, some of the albums or mini albums that Infinite put out that year, like, musically speaking, you know? Um, even if it didn't sell as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of cycle, um, yeah, they tend to kind of wait between the the three to five year mark to roll something out. And I really feel like they are preparing Ken for a solo, but I just don't know when exactly they're going to roll it out. And I just, I feel like they'll do it this year because last year was all kind of like OT6. You know, it was the whole um, Kratos trilogy was like very much group based. And then they wanted to roll out Ravi's solo as well at the beginning of this year um which again actually that's the five-year mark so you know Ravi actually didn't buck the trend it is the five-year mark so or close to the five-year mark because their fifth anniversary is like this month so um yeah but I mean yeah I think I think OSTs have multiple functions but the problem with a song like Alive and the reason people aren't talking about it more despite it's amazingness as a song itself is the fact that Murim School like flopped <laughs> it just absolutely flopped like I couldn't even get past like the first four episodes of the drama you know um it's fun watching clips from that show but yeah I just couldn't sit through it like fully fully in, in, into it and and maybe at some point I'll revisit 
revisit it again, if only to just hear a live played over and over again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was part of the problem of the equation of like why people weren't hearing a live because not only was it an OST, which is already a gamble in terms of whether or not you're going to get any exposure for the song beyond the drama viewers, but then there weren't enough viewers of the drama to even create any buzz around around it as a song you know it's like I think they even canceled the show early so I mean yet another kind of telltale sign that you know Murim School wasn't going to be a smash hit what was what was your feeling when you first heard Alive maybe you can talk about that because for me it was just being a Vix fan and then following it and hearing it and being like yeah this is the this is the shit but like for you, it came out of a conversation we were having, actually. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny because, you know, like when people I mean, I don't feel this way when I listen to music with you, but certainly with other people, they're like, this is a dope track. And you're like, OK, sure. And you always kind of approach it with some mm-hmm. trepidation. It's like YouTube parties, right? It's always a little bit awkward when it's something that you've never heard, but the other person is like really excited about it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, OK, OK. Um, but then as soon as it started, I was like, what is going on? This is the jam. This is the jam. Because it starts off with these like these like really intense strings. And I'm like, I'm a huge sucker for strings, and especially when they're in pop. And it's hard to I feel like it's really hard to do them well in a way that's not cheesy. But it's just like immediately the strings hit you and it's just this like driving beat. And then they jump right into like the chorus and you're like, oh my gosh, this is this is happening. This is real. And um and so there's there's that element. And then the middle section where everything drops oh, out. And it's God. just like it's amazing. It just like Yes. I don't even know how to express how like intense that section is. And the hook is like so the thing about it is like there's like 17 great hooks in the song. So like you always have something to just like bop along with in addition to all the like the layers that are in there so yeah but like yeah. the part with like na 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 that's like yep. the best part oh my god yes yes i mean i think like anybody who's listened to that track knows exactly what we're talking about and if you haven't listened to that track oh just brace yourself. I almost feel bad t- describing it in such detail because... Spoiler alert. <laughs> part of the joy of listening to it for the first time, if you don't have the spoilers, is just how how much of a mind fuck, like listening to that song is. Because it is so epic, because it goes to places that even your excellent K-pop songs don't go. As far as structure, as far as you know, the kind of ways in which the structure and the emotional build sync and then the elements of the song and how they interweave them. Yeah, the buildup, the pacing and the buildup. It's so amazing. Yeah, it's just, it's truly one of the, yeah, definitely one of the best in in in, in the Vix catalog, but like, oh man, it just slays like other artists' title tracks like and that's yeah. what also oh kills gosh, me about so hard 
<laughs> I also want to say, I also want to make a plug for the lyrics because when we originally were listening to it, it's on this like lyrics video that somebody put together. So you can see the translations and it's exactly the kind of song that just always gets me in the gut. It's like a song about discovering yourself and like figuring out who you are and like having confidence and, um, and that kind of, yeah, that's just like my jam where all my jams start is like figuring out who you are. Yeah, yeah. And and it it dovetails really well, actually, with what's happening in Murim school. Like to the extent that I watched the drama, I mean, it does fit in with kind of the drama storyline about, you know, the characters going to this, you know, secluded academy and, and learning about their powers within. So it is kind of this this flagship song for the drama and the themes that it's dealing with. And, you know, whether or not their execution of it is good um, is a whole nother story. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it was meant to sort of fit in with what was happening with the drama, but it works on its own as well. It really is just, it totally stands on its own. And one of the things that I remember about first playing it for you was the reason I played it was, we were having a conversation about a group's best song and like the question of will they ever top it or will they ever meet the same oh yeah that same level of thrill that you got from whatever that seminal track was right so we've had this conversation many times about the question of infinite and the chaser right um I think that's the the example that, you know, we kind of constantly go back to um, as one where you're like, yeah, can Infinite ever top the chaser? Has not been done in the, oh my gosh, it's five years now since the chaser (laughs) came out. Has it really been five years? Oh my God. Yeah, it came out in summer 2012. Wow. Yeah, I mean, arguably the music videos they've done have, you know, been way more impressive but song wise you know i think it's it's so it's just so unparalleled in their in their catalog i think it really is there's just there's no other track that brings that same level of excitement whenever you hear it and that it's that it's the kind of the playability of it over and over and over again like it's just one of those tracks that you just keep coming back to but yeah, so going back to talking about Alive, we had this conversation and I think we were talking about, yeah, can, can, can an artist ever top this seminal track that, we've, that we feel is a seminal track for them? Is that possible? Like, will they do it? I want them to do it so bad because that's what got me into them in the first place. You know, you're hoping to get that again. Um, and I think we felt that way about Error. Like, Error is... is you know, my probably my favorite Vix MV favorite title track of all time. Just absolute masterpiece. It's the the thing that spawned my essay, or at least was so synergistic with with what I had already been preparing to do that it just blew my mind um, on so many levels. But. Yeah, we were talking about it, and you kind of posed to me. You were like, but do you ever think <laughs> Vix will top error? Or, like, 
will they ever have a track as I don't remember exactly what your question was. It was probably something like, will they ever have a track as epic as Error or something like that? Something like and, that. Yeah. And yeah, then it's I was like, by far my favorite Vix song. And I like a lot of Vix's tracks. Um, although I don't know them as well as you, but like I do like I do have a lot of their stuff in my library and like Error is by far like my go to. It's in like every playlist I've ever made because it's just <laughs> so quality. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it's a it's a very sad song and the music video is like so mm-hmm. tragic and yet you want to keep coming back to it. It's just exactly. Be- it's the kind of I mean, maybe it's cathartic and that's why, but um, you know, I mean, we can have a whole conversation about like what's so great about Error too, but since the focus is on Alive, I mean, I guess yeah, when I heard it, it was one of those tracks it's just so arresting, not only in the first listen, but on repeated listens. And so I just was like, no, no, no. There is a track. But they've, <laughs> but they've just hidden the out of it. Like, they just hid it. They buried it in a failed drama OST, you know? <laughs> like, and, and part well, of me didn't is... Didn't you also say, like, the composer is, like, a lesser known or someone who who's maybe doing this for the first time or something. Yeah. So I looked up who the composer was and like, they're definitely part of one of those like big companies that gets a lot of K-pop deals. Um, But it wasn't like on the level of, um, you know, like a Brave Brothers or a Shinsodong Tiger or, uh, you know, any of the kind of like marquee, composers of that moment you know so they're obviously linked it wasn't like a total newbie but then I kind of tried to find other songs that this person had or this I think maybe it was a composition team I'll have to look it up and we'll post the credits for that um but yeah it was mostly album tracks that were credited to this particular um composition team um and yeah so it's it's one of those things to me where, again, we've had this conversation about how with Infinite, the chaser was not only the pinnacle of sort of Infinite's musical achievement, but it, it was also the case for Sweet Tune. Um, and, you know, there are definitely other title tracks and quality tracks in the kind of Sweet Tune oeuvre that stand out, but nothing kind of hits that peak level like the chaser and I would argue for this particular composition duo um that that is also true at least as far as what I know about their catalog I think it's it's also so interesting that we juxtapose it against error because they're such different songs but they they both have such like amazing energy um in like such different ways and like you were saying like error is so tragic and like it gets in all of my like all of my emotions Mm. but in a different way than alive does and they're sort of like I guess they're sort of driving in opposite directions but you still end up feeling like I don't know I feel energized after listening to both of them yeah yeah I mean I think it's true it's it's that the energies are of a different quality but the intensity of them is is on the same level. Whereas, yeah, like 
Error is one of those songs that kind of rips you apart and and makes you feel all it 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 evokes all of the I think kind of bittersweet or sort of morose feelings that one has and then alive is this sort of rousing get up get moving sort of conquer the day track <laughs> but it's not cheesy about it that's a thing that like if if we if we put it yes. next to something like I mean there are lots of k-pop songs that do this and that I think do it really poorly but like Taylor Swift's Shake It Off for example that song is like I mean, Ugh. it's cute or whatever, but it doesn't get me, like, going the way that Alive does. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, I again, I think that partly is the structure of the song, but it's also, like, they use a lot of really powerful elements, but they do it in interesting ways that don't feel hackneyed. For example, there's the whole dubstep thing going on in it, which you could easily write off as trendy. You could easily write off as being kind of a cheesy element at a certain point in time when, like, you get a saturation of dubstep. (laughs) Um, But I think what what changes that is that it's mixed with with strings and and, and it's in in a song structure that is unconventional and yet still emotionally gripping. And then on top of that, the other thing that I would say, which we haven't fully talked about, is the way in which the song showcases Vix's vocal abilities of all the members in a way that sometimes their title tracks don't even do. And it takes elements of each of those members' voices and their singing style and their ability to deliver a song and understand how to deliver a song that evokes a, an emotional response um, that I think also puts it over the top. Like, as much as it's a composer's song in terms of, say, the structure um, or the instrumentation, it's a producer's song, I don't think there's very many other groups who could have done that vocal delivery the same kind of justice and and had that kind of richness in the vocal delivery to the song. And what I wonder as well is who came up with that middle section and, you know, there's very few other vocalists in K-pop that have the kind of range that Ken does to be able to, to go there. Yeah, I mean, the buildup is, you know... So intense, like it starts from you know the bottom, and then he goes up into this like whole descant part, which is yeah not something that you hear all the time from K-pop artists. No, like you really do not hear it often. And then you think about someone like Hong Bin, who's got that really deep voice. And I think that's the other thing that you know when you talk about parallels between the two songs, like Hong Bin's low parts in Error are some of his best work as a vocalist and I think likewise you look at a track like Alive and it showcases a sort of you know pun intended unsung vocal magic of like what Hongbin's voice kind of brings to the table you know and I think like certain starlights will say you know Hongbin's like totally an underrated vocalist and it's because he sings on the lower end of things and if you've got kind of these 
atmospheric high range high register people like ken and leo in the mix uh you know you're you're gonna get a lot less of that kind of low singing featured in a in a title track especially um and that's part of what i love it shows off both the low and the high ranges of all of these members vocal abilities and that wide range is what also gives you those kind of big emotional swells in the song itself all right that's alive yeah go listen to it cool (laughs) so we're gonna post a link you've got to listen to that song it is by far i think the track that we have most wanted to advocate for people to listen to I was gonna. I was just gonna be like, play it at my funeral, and then I was like, wait. <laughs> the irony of that is too good. It's too good. Oh my god, can that be our? Actually, we should make that the tagline of the podcast: play alive at our funerals. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. Actually, I think that's just what we should title this segment. We should title the segment Play Alive at Our Funerals. <laughs> also known as. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thanks for listening to Second Lead Syndrome. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love to have your support so that we can post all our episodes online and keep them available. We've got some great thank yous like exclusive content on our website and shout outs in our episode credits. Please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash second lead syndrome. That's 2ND lead syndrome. And thanks again for listening. Connect with us on Twitter at second lead. That's 2ND lead. Or email us at secondleadsyndrome, 2ND, leadsyndrome at gmail.com. You can find additional content and links to full audio and video mentioned on Second Lead Syndrome at secondleadsyndrome.wordpress.com. Our theme was composed by Kevin Vitz Wong. You can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com slash ars prosthetica.